Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of all combat sports, the legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing today? Good. Yesterday, Sunday, was a big day. My grandson, my five-year-old grandson, Joseph, you know, I have four grandchildren, beautiful grandchildren. I'm very blessed. Joseph, Teddy, Mara, and the latest edition, Adeline. Um, she's still very small. She's two, three months old. But yesterday was the day for Joseph. He had a track meet. I know you know something about track meets or running. You know, it's been, it's been rumored that you know something about that stuff so anyway i was there at royal oak park in staten island and i got there just you know i was rushing like crazy and i got there just my daughter told me what time it started i got there just as it was starting so as it started i i look i might as well get right to it i ran the course with him now, first of all, I there was a lot of people there, but I didn't pay attention to that. I just kept looking for him, and I got to, to the beginning, and then all of a sudden they took off, and next thing I know, I just, I wasn't even aware. You know, I, I plead innocent to this. I just started, my legs started moving. I started running with them, so I started running with them. Uh, according to certain witnesses, I was I might have been boisterous. I might have been uh, I, I might have been um, cheering a lot, kind of loud. And I ran the whole course. First of all, whoever comes up with the idea to run a four forty course for five year olds, I think they should rethink it. I, I I just think maybe it's my own experience, my personal experience of yesterday. But that's a quarter of a mile, right, Ken? Am I correct? Yes. That's a quarter of a mile. Yes. And and they're running up a hill. They're running down a hill. They're running all. And I'm running. I I run the whole thing with them, screaming, "Come on, come!" And I'm running. I, I had to I had to walk a little. I slow down a little. <laughs> I get I get to the end. He's passing guys and passing guys up, and I'm saying, "Yeah, yeah, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, buddy!" And you know, and I hear a few people yelling. They they yell my name out. I'm thinking, so I, I didn't really, afterwards they might have been yelling something else. I don't know, but you know, I just figured they were saying hello. I didn't realize that. Ken, I didn't notice. Like I told my daughter at the end. Now I understand why those. Yellow ropes were there. <laughs> um, parents ain't supposed to go in between those yellow ropes. I went in between them. I I didn't know why they were there. I just thought there was, I don't know, outline for the you know general direction. So I ran the whole thing. I get there at the end, and uh, my daughter said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I, 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 I got to take a little rest. Um, I said, these people are crazy. They got these kids running, running this far. Said, yeah, but it's not made for 67-year-old grandfathers. <laughs> um, they're not supposed to actually be running this. Did you notice that, that there's yellow ropes? Yeah, I. afterwards I noticed, <laughs> yeah. I noticed a little bit because I had to jump outside one. All right, I did. I noticed a little bit, but did I pay a 
great amount of attention to it in a very, you know, definitive sort of way. No, other than it was in a way a little bit, <laughs> you know, of getting to my grandson. So he did great. He did great. He passed a bunch of guys. He, he did great. The great people that run these things and all kidding aside, they do a great job. But I, I just want to put a suggestion out to them that um, maybe they cut the course down a little bit, a, a little bit, a, a little bit. And then when I get, when, I, when we got done and we celebrated and everything, you know, and uh, I got my breath back and I, <laughs> I, I was able to walk to the car 20 minutes later, I, it hit me. I've got news that there was another smaller race, not as big a race, Sam, not as big a race, but a smaller race going on in, in Chicago um, that Ken, uh, my guy over here, was part of. Uh, the Chicago Marathon, actually. You know, not as, hey, look, not as <laughs> big as the Royal Oak uh 440 uh, with Joseph Atlas Fazio uh, tearing it up, but pretty, pretty important, uh, pretty big, pretty big. And I found out that Ken ran a little better time than I did. He probably ran a better time than I ran in a 440 <laughs> in 26 miles. That's it. Listen, I'm not afraid to say truths, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. Maybe I should be, but I'm not, Sam. But uh, our man, Ken, ran a 229. A 229 in the Chicago Marathon. One of the world's biggest marathons, right? He won the Masters World Championships for 50-year-olds and older. Yep. Um, I'm not sure what I won yesterday. But I think what Ken won is probably a little bit more significant. Um, congratulations, Ken. Uh, I couldn't think of a better way for me to set you up for this uh, than to let my grandson take center stage over you first and, and then give it to you. Congratulations. You won it. Uh, talk about it. Talk about the feeling of winning it. And... Um, and a little bit about what it took to get in condition because I didn't even know you were running the damn thing. And so the training you must have been doing in between doing the shows that we do every week had to be pretty, you know, it's always intense with you, but had to be pretty incredible. And I'm, I'm just thinking outside the box that maybe you switched up your training a little bit to get ready for this because it just seemed like it, it hit us kind of quick, and I'm thinking to myself when I got the information today and the news today. I'm thinking maybe he he tweaked his training training where he, you know, he he changed it up a little bit. So talk about that. Well, yeah, congratulations. Uh, thank you. I um I hadn't said anything to anyone about the race because. I wanted to win so badly since I got cheated out of the victory in London two years ago by the guy who did the uh, unethical uh, start routine, and I lost by less than a minute. So this race has been on my calendar for two years, and 
you know, maybe it's my own weakness and insecurity, but I didn't want to tell anyone I was training for it because I didn't want the added pressure of having people sending me messages. I just wanted to be kind of alone with my thoughts and training. So I've been training pretty much the way I normally have. I added a little bit more intensity on top of the, um, on top of the longevity. Like I've been doing big miles, but I added some more intense intervals and, um, on race day, the day before the race, I got the list of who else was running. And there were two guys over 50, an Australian guy and a Belgian guy who had both run 225, which is three minutes faster than I've ever run. So in my mind, I was like, oh, for Christ's sakes, I'm going to be running for third. I had part of me was like, catch. I kept catching myself mentally quitting before the race started. And this is a good example for anyone like we always talk kind of like kind of like what used to happen they're the equivalent those two guys this is a lesson for everyone out there they're the equivalent of what Muhammad Ali used to represent to fighters when he was Muhammad Ali That's when right. he was at his peak where where guys were beaten by his talk his bravado his actions his, you know his antics his confidence, his theatrics, his craziness. You know, some people think he even beat the great Sonny Liston mentally before the fight with, with the bear, with Sonny Liston. So very, I draw a parallel, an equivalency to that, that you had to make sure that they didn't Muhammad Ali you, that they didn't beat you before you got in the ring, or they didn't Mike Tyson you, who he used to beat a lot of guys before they got in the ring for the same reasons, on the same premise, because they got intimidated, they got beat just by his reputation, by what they imagined that would be, and they couldn't imagine it. So they had been defeated before they got in the ring. You had to make sure that that, you didn't get Mike Tyson, you didn't get Muhammad Ali, any of those proper uh, comparisons people could make their own comparison whatever but Roberto Duran when he used to beat guys when he was lightweight champ before they ever got in the ring you had to make sure that did not happen to you from a mental uh, standpoint yeah that's exactly right I kept I kept telling myself stories about that I couldn't beat these guys and um, I started getting pissed off and started to think like Literally, like there was a at one point it was like 50 50 in my brain of like, you can't beat them. And then the other side of me is like, will you toughen the F up and get right? This is a anything can happen. And eventually on race day, that voice, the alpha voice became 51 percent of the equation. And I was like, let's F and have it. Let's go. So sure enough, I take off real quick and uh, an Australian guy. The Australian guy just runs away from me with two, mi two miles in. And I'm like, holy shit, if this guy's going to run that fast, I could never keep up with him. I could stay with him right now, but I know at 20 miles, I won't be able to maintain that pace. So I had to let him go and think, I'm going to get him in the later rounds. And then at 10 miles, the Belgian guy who won, who was the world champ last year, who ran 225, which again, that's three minutes faster than I've ever run runs past me at 10 miles and now I'm thinking oh I'm running for third place they're gone I can't even see them now and I'm thinking to myself damn it but then I would catch myself like okay I'm suffering let me just get off the gas a little bit and give myself a reprieve but then like I said that other voice in my head would kick in and be like no stay on the gas to the absolute limit I know I can finish it's just going to be uncomfortable and I was just suffered the entire way and sure enough 
who do I see at 19 miles stretching his hamstring on the side of the road? The Belgian guy. I'm like, oh shit, I got him. And I run past him. Now I know I have him, but I have to stay going because I see he, when he sees me goes by, he starts running again. So, and now I'm running as fast as I can and I'm hoping that I have enough to get to the finish line. Sure enough, 24 miles in, here comes the Australian guy in reverse coming towards me. Not super fast, like slow enough where I'm like, oh my God, we're going to get in a sprint. Oh, and there was again, part of me that was like, do I really want to win this bad? And then the other part of my brain is like, are you kidding? We will die to win. And I put a little move in. I end up beating him by 40 seconds and I won the world title and I beat both of these guys that should have both beat me. But I thought about it with regards to the things you say about timing can beat speed you can a guy can have more talent but you could still beat him by outfoxing him and i stayed strategic and ran exactly even splits i ran the first half in 1.14.08, and i ran 114.50 on the back half so just a step slower on the back half which is really hard to do because Obviously, if I could run 114 for the back half, that means I could have run faster in the first half. So to let those guys go and have the discipline to know if they can keep that pace, I can't beat them. But if they don't keep that pace, I will catch them. And sure enough, you know, they say it's a marathon, not a sprint. They came back. I got them. And oh, my God, all I can tell you is the relief that I felt after having won it trumped all the happiness in my show when i called shelby she's like oh my god are you happy i said more than happy i'm just so effing relieved i'm just so happy it's over i did it i could take a deep breath i felt like until i righted this wrong i couldn't really take a deep breath and enjoy it and now i feel like oh it's over thank god another lesson in life learned not yeah. just in running life and life in general and we like to share those lessons with everyone out there and um congratulations and, you know, listening to that finish, I felt like I was listening to the call of a fight. Mm. And I'm not joking. I'm being serious. And what do I always say? Life is a fight. Yep. No matter what you do, you're in a fight. I talked to the UConn men's basketball team two, three weeks ago. And the first thing, the first thing I said to them, when I was speaking to him, I said, your coach, Danny Hurley, brought me here last year to talk to you. He's bringing me back. And I think the thing that brought your coach, who's a tremendous, tremendous, best coach in college basketball, his whole family are just royalty of basketball, his father, his brother, um, just royalty. I mean, just, they're special. And they're winners. And um, I said, the thing that I think brought Danny to me I, as I was you know, talking to the team, is that he understood we were in the same business. And for a second, they were looking at me like, did you forget what business you're in? You're not in a basketball business, you know. Unless you're John Wooden's grandfather or nephew or something, we don't know about it. You're in a boxing business. You're in a fight business. And before they could think any further, I said, yeah, we're in the same business. We're in a fight business. You know, the only difference is he does it with basketball, I do it with fisticuffs. But we are both in the fight business, and everybody's in the fight business in one way or another. Everyone. Everyone. It's just a matter, what do you fight for? That's all. It's about overcoming. It's about resiliency. It's about, you know, it's not about just the neon talents, about how fast you are, how strong your endurance is. No. It's about what choices will you make when the devil knocks at your door, like you just talked about. 
and and everyone gets off at those choices bad choices good choices bad choices good choice which choice will you make and you know so again uh you you just you know back up what i talk about and what we talk about what we try to put forward in this show week in and week in uh week in and week out connecting the dots you know your fight to the fight of life you know what is your fight connect the dots and use boxing to connect those dots in everybody's individual fights so again lesson learned lesson given uh congratulations you you made the right choice uh i always tell the kids i talk to the most powerful ability and trait that we have is not the ones we necessarily might think they are mm-hmm. it's not our speed it's not our jumping ability it's not our punching ability you know it's it's none of those things it's not our athleticism as important as that is obviously our work ethic is very important but the most important trait that we all have is the ability to make a choice. When the moment comes, when push comes to shove, when that knock comes to the door, you know, to make the choice of how we're going to act. One of those real world examples for most people would be whether or not you're going to work out after work or before work. Nah, I'm not going to do it today. That should never even be an option. And if you can get to the point where your brain can override that feeling of wanting to take the easy way out or maybe skip a piano lesson or skip a language lesson, skip a class in college, you, once you callous your mind to the idea of ever taking the easy way out, it's, it's incredible how easy other things come in your life. But you're given the opportunity to be tough every single day. It doesn't have to be getting punched in the face. It has to do with making choices that make you uncomfortable. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Go to the gym. But guess what? No one ever left the gym or finished a run and regretted doing it. No one. Well, I'll leave it with this. I'm going to leave it with this. I'm going to encapsulate it for everybody. Uh, off of what we talked about and what you just finished with. It is harder to quit than it is to fight. That's right. And digest that. It is harder to quit than it is to fight. Because when you quit for life, eternity, it never goes away. You have to live with that solo prison sentence of regret. You have to, you have to live with it. It doesn't go away. But when you fight, it's a moment. Everything is a moment. Everything is a moment. You fight. That moment, it's over. The fight's over. Everything's over. And win or lose, you know you fought. So you can't lose. Win or lose, you can't lose. Because you fought. You faced the devil at the door. You, 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 you answered that knock at the door. And you freaking... You, you gritted it out and you fought. And and the next time, it'll be easier because right. it will be a next time because those habits are formed because you will, the next time, have more confidence, more belief, be a little further in the game. And eventually, you'll win the whole enchilada, if you will. You'll win the whole thing. But you're already winning. You're winning bits and pieces of it just by making the right choice. And again, it's harder, 
harder to quit than win because that moment you quit it, it's not going away yep nope that's for sure but the fight part like like ken's talking about it's over it's done and when it's done what are you left with you left with the knowledge that you fought that's right you did not submit you did not you know you did not give in and um anyway I I know I'm going to ask a question that's a rhetorical question, Ken, before we get to the fights now. But I know you you were doing Athletic Greens. Um, I know you had to be... I know there were Athletic Greens in Chicago. <laughs> I... I, I I know. Well, if you want to take if, if to the listeners out, if you want to take advantage and get on the athletic green train with me, the travel packs invaluable. If you sign up right now for a subscription using the promo code Atlas, you go to athleticgreens.com slash Atlas. They'll send you 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. And needless to say, I was doubling up the week before the race on my athletic greens. I take some in the morning and some in the evening. Um, this stuff is made from whole food sourced ingredients, so it's basically like getting the vitamins straight from food, which is the best way to get your vitamins and minerals. Athletic Greens makes it easy for you with the all-in-one green drink. One scoop mixed with 8 to 10 ounces of water in the morning is all you need for your supplemental needs. Athleticgreens.com slash Atlas. They'll send you 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. I love this stuff. Please give them a try. Support the show and support your own health and immunity with Athletic Greens. Let's get into some boxing, Teddy. I know that's what the people want to start with. Our man Joe Smith was back in action, moving up to cruiserweight against Gilberto Ramirez, who couldn't make light heavyweight anymore. I think he was supposed to fight Gabe Rosado, but just couldn't get down to the weight. Um, so he comes in at cruiserweight, and Ramirez wins a one-sided fight against Joe Smith. The judges, all three judges had it nine rounds to one. I didn't think it was that... Um, Big of a discrepancy. Joe Smith won the last round. He landed some big shots late in the round. Maybe even had him hurt, but too little too late for Joe, unfortunately. We're a big fan of uh, Joe Smith on this show here. But Gilberto Ramirez gets the win in his debut at Cruiserweight. How'd you like it? No, listen, you we, you know, you know, basically echoed what I put out there in, the, in my tweets. Um, you know, that... I don't know what the they they probably made the cards out. Uh, see, that's the thing when you're with the when you're the A fighter, which of course Ramirez was with the promoter, his promoter, Golden Boy. When you're the A fighter, sometimes the scorecards are made out before you get in the ring, and it felt that way. I got to tell you, yeah, Ramirez won, no doubt about it. He looked good. He 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 won the fight, but man. Uh, he he didn't win by those scores. Not the fight I was watching. I'm not saying it was tight, tight, but Smith made a run. Smith made a run at the you know the, down the stretch to tighten it up a bit. And you know, the problem with making a run down the stretch is if the scorecards are already written out, it ain't gonna matter. It ain't gonna matter. You know what I mean? You still should take your athletic greens, though, because this way you have that endurance down the stretch, which Smith did and Ramirez did. But 
I wish they would come up with some athletic greens so we could give some of these judges to make them, you know, think a little better, be a little more, I don't, whatever. But both fighters moved up from light heavyweight to cruiserweight. Both were inactive coming off layoffs and losses. Ramirez had lost to Bevel and Smith uh, to better Beef. And on top of that, Smith's brother had been murdered in Long Island. Uh, so a lot for Smith mentally to deal with. And as you said properly, he's a, I'm a fan of his. Uh, I, I think we both are. Um, he, he's, listen, I like Ramirez too. Uh, Smith, Smith's a little raw in, in some of the areas that Ramirez has a little bit more expertise in, a little more development in. And I think, I think Ramirez is going to be the, he could be right now, could be the cruiserweight champ. Uh, I, I think he's the best guy in that division. I think he could be his next fight. He could be cruiserweight champ. Teddy, the cruiserweight division is always interesting to me. I feel like it's feast or famine there. You either have a guy like Usyk going through it like a buzzsaw, or you have a bunch of guys I've never even heard of. Very well, like, evade the Holyfield, right? Uh, years ago, right? That's what I mean. Occasionally, you have like some really right. big names, and I'm not trying to be critical of anyone in particular. I'm just saying, it doesn't the cruiserweight seems to be the least of the least interest other than the really lightweights, but anything from lightweight up to heavyweight cruiserweight seems to be like the redheaded stepchild of, of divisions. Am I crazy to say that? No, it's like a, it's like a stopover. Like, like when you're running your marathon and they have those water stations and you grab a water, you know, it's kind of like a water station for them to grab a little water. Kind of like guys on their way to the big money division, yeah. heavyweight. If you're that close yeah. to heavyweight, like, I mean, using Andy Ruiz as an example of how how rich the heavyweight division is, Andy Ruiz gets like, what do you get, three or five million dollars to step in last minute against Anthony Joshua, and obviously he won the fight, but, I mean, he got millions, plural, to jump in at the last minute just for being a heavyweight. No other division would pay you that kind of bread to be a last minute opponent against anyone. I mean, the champions in some of those lighter divisions can't make several million dollars on a, on a fight. Smith had a lot to overcome. Uh, like I said, they both had inactivity. They both coming off losses, but Smith coming off a, a destructive loss to better be if he got knocked out in the second round. And he's, he's just what his nickname suggests. He's a common man, Smith. Uh, a good man. And again... But I want to give him credit for taking such a tough fight back. Uh, give credit to Ramirez too. But for taking such a tough fight back while the ghost of that better be of second round KO was still in his attic. I mean, you know, that's tough to do. That's why most people after they're knocked out, they take a tune-up just to let them know that they're okay. Yeah, that they're okay to a stable place or where they could where they could feel stable, like they could trust that they're okay again. Fighters have to go through that. And, um, I mean, if you got knocked out, if you, you know, let's say you had a devastating um, fall and running, you'd have to get an easy race back to know that, you know, you're okay to get the trauma out of your head. Say you were a bike rider uh, and you had a devastating fall on a bike. You'd have to have, again, a tune-up, whatever you want. But to get back, 
just to let you know that, yeah, I'm okay on the bike again. I, you know, get back on that horse again, as the old saying goes, after you've been thrown off the horse. And so he better be have had to, uh, you know, he, he can be that, better be have can be that ghost in your attic, a guy like him that knocked you out in two rounds and, and that those ghosts don't just disappear. So Smith had a lot to overcome. And um, like I said, I give him credit for taking, you know, no no tune-ups. I mean, he jumped right into this. Uh, Ramirez is a southpaw. And as I kind of alluded to a minute ago, the more developed guy, Ken, uh, was, you know, uh, not Smith, uh, Ramirez. Yes, yeah, a southpaw. Smith was the physically stronger, uh, bigger puncher. Ramirez is the busier guy. He throws a lot of punches. Smith's a Smith's one-dimensional. Always looking to come in the front door for the most part. I thought that he could have done a little better job cutting the ring down. He followed him a little bit, uh, which allowed Ramirez to do what he wanted to do, which box on the outside, control the geography that he needed to in order to have the edge on the outside. Ramirez... Obviously, uh, that's where, you know, that's where he's, he's going to make his living for the most part, at least in this kind of fight. He used his jab to control range, set the table for straight left hands, you know, from the southpaw position. Ramirez used his legs to get some angles, keep separation, mixed encounters, body shots. He boxed really well, while Smith pressed forward and looked to land that southpaw killer that I've kind of designated it over the years, you know, doing the commentary, the straight right hand. But he loaded up on it just a little too much. Not all of them, like you touched on. He he caught him down a stretch and got it, you know, rang his bell a little bit, got his attention. Never real clean, but enough. But he loaded up on it, uh, Smith, a little too much, and he missed. Although... As I said, he did land enough down the stretch to make things interesting, to to make you say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, like Yogi Berra says, it ain't over till it's over. So there was, you know, there was some anticipation there. Uh, as I said, Ramirez was better technically. That showed up. And it showed up where it usually does, defensively. His defense was better than Smith's. Ramirez was was ahead. I thought the the entire fight, but Smith won a few rounds. Uh, he had a good fourth round, but then Ramirez came right back in the fifth to take back control. Ramirez mixed up what he was doing very well. Smith showed plenty of talent, uh, plenty of heart, uh, as did Ramirez. Seventh round was a great round with good back and forth. Uh, Smith Smith closed, I, as we said, I thought he closed the gap down the stretch. Uh, but Ramirez, you know, probably stole the ninth round. In my thinking, it turned out I was wrong, Ken. That was a pivotal round because I thought it was getting tighter. I don't know about you, but I thought it was getting tighter and it could be interesting, uh, you know, and then 
because I wasn't thinking about the A side, the B side, that the cards were made up before they ever got in the ring. And so I thought, all right, this might this is getting a little interesting. But then Ramirez took the ninth round, and I felt like Smith to come back fully had to win that round. Um, you know, and like I said, it, it, it just had felt like if Smith could close out the last few rounds, it could be interesting. Uh, even though I, as I said, Ramirez is no doubt he had the lead. He was he was winning. In the end, Ramirez won, but like I said, it was definitely closer than the ridiculous, ridiculous scores I thought that the judges had. But nothing new. A number first, uh, the fighter with the promoter. Like I said earlier, Golden Boy in this case, you know, he, he was you know he he was gonna win. Um, and again, as I said, Ramirez won the fight. Uh, no, no doubt about that. Just not that big, at least in my mind. So a lot of, lot of class shown in the end by Smith in the post-fight interview. Both fighters represented themselves well as people, as well as fighters. And while Ramirez looked good, I, I didn't exactly understand the commentators Every round, Ken, I don't know if you caught this, but every round they kept saying how much Ramirez improved and learned from the Beaver fight. And I didn't necessarily think that. I just felt like, yeah, he looked better because he was in there with a different fighter. He wasn't in there with Beaver, taking nothing away from Smith, but he was in there with a fighter who was a lot easier to hit than Beaver was. You know, a lot easier to figure out, a lot easier to outbox, a lot easier, you know, to navigate uh, around than Bevel. You know, Bevel, to me, is pound for pound in the top three, four, five list of boxes right now. So as tough as Smith is and physically strong and good puncher and game, he's not Bevel. So when they kept saying over and over, wow, Ramirez has improved so much from the Beaver fight. I was, I, I think it's the same guy, but he's in there with a different guy. How about that? So, anyway, uh, I thought that was the biggest difference. And as I said earlier, Ken, cruiserweight division wide open for Ramirez to win a title. I think right away, Bojack, uh, Bodojack uh, has a title, I believe. I think he's pretty well done. You know, he's he's got a lot of miles on his odometer. He moved up, of course, from light heavyweight, uh, as Ramirez did, as Smith did. But I think Badojak is really on running on fumes, ready to be beaten by somebody. Very game guy. Give him all the credit in the world. But uh, I think Ramirez handles him, honestly, easily. Uh, I think he beats him at this stage in his life. And as I said earlier, I actually think Ramirez probably beats anybody in that division. Interesting. Um, let's talk the Brits. Um, Lee Wood gets the knockout over Josh Warrington in a fight that Josh Warrington seemed to have well in hand through seven almost moving through him like a buzzsaw. You know what's funny about these British guys, these British um, fighters? I almost think of them in a weird way like the same guy. Like you know exactly what you're getting. Tough, 
rugged game guys that bring it every night. They're going to get hit. They're going to do some hitting. I just think of them like the most consistent. When I think of British fighters, I just think consistently the same thing. Josh Taylor, Lee Wood, Josh Warrington. Obviously, I know they have their own skill sets and everything, but I just think consistently you know everything they're going to bring. Toughness, first of all, good attitude, never showing an ounce of fear. And these guys brought it. And um, Lee Wood shocked the world because it looked like Josh Warrington was just going to run him right over. And uh, Lee Wood caught him and put him away, hit him with a beautiful series of punches. I think Josh Warrington afterwards was maybe complaining about the stoppage. But at the time, I thought the ref did an excellent job. There was no sense in continuing. He was in bad shape. I know the round was almost over, but the ref not supposed to consider how much time's left on the clock, just whether or not the guy can continue. And I wouldn't have let Warrington continue in the condition he was in. But kudos to Lee Wood. Big win for him. How'd you like that fight? Another great crowd in the UK. Mm. That's the other thing I was going to say with those Brits. They come out for their fighters and they're always aggressive in yeah. the crowd. As I always say, and I've been saying for years, uh, when I die, I want to come back as an English promoter, you know? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to get rich. My my brothers and sisters across the pond there that we, we you know, we fool around with each other back and forth. We, we have fun with each other, but we have respect for each other. And I respect you guys. You come out for your fighters. Uh, again, I want to come back, you know, as a British promoter. You're going to make me rich. You're going to make me rich in my next life. Uh, you've, just a few more shillings was put in the coffers of the big man over there right now, Eddie Hearn. He he probably can add another room onto that castle that he lives in. Uh, he does a good job over there. And the fans do the best job. They come out. They're like the field of dreams. You know, that movie. Uh, you build it, they will come. You build it, they will come. And they build it over there, they come. So to what you were talking about, giving credit to the British fighters, you know, that that continent, that obviously country, they have a great legacy, a great history, a great tradition with boxing, with fighting, um, and with being fighters, as I talk about, not in a ring necessarily, but fighters, fighting people like we are here, but fighting people where they overcome things. You know, they don't give in. When they were fighting the Germans, I mean... <laughs> That you know, people sh that know their history. You look at the history books, and you look at that fight. Oh, oh, wow! I mean, that's the resiliency that we talk about. That is the really the the core of you know being a champion in whatever it is in life. Those people, they were all champions to to be able to deal with that war and and you know, ultimately come out on top the way they did, the way that, uh, the way we did, the way that, you know, all the allies did in that war. Wow. But what they went through, and again, to your point, they, they have that, they have that tradition of, you know, not giving in, being ready for a fight. Just like the Mexican tradition with those great, 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 Mexican fans and Mexican fighters, there's a tradition there. There's a legacy there. There's a history there. 
And don't think it don't mean something to those fighters. That they don't let down that history. They don't let down. They don't betray that legacy. That they behave the right way. Even when they don't feel like it. When, when, they're, when they're in a tough spot. Don't think that that don't matter. It does matter. That, that Those ghosts do hover over. They do talk to you. They do tell these great fighters, hey, <laughs> you got you to gotta not only show up, you, you got to, you got to, you got something to, you know, you got something to follow here. You got to follow us. You got to follow this, what we paved the way for. You got to follow that behavior, that tradition, you know, that action. It, it matters. I believe that. And it, and it shows itself in these places that have great tradition in boxing and fighting. So, the great fight. Very good fight with a sudden, unexpected, uh, sensational ending. Uh, for me, it was a bit reminiscent, Ken, of the Meldrick Taylor Chavez Sr. ending, with Taylor winning the fight just, just like Warrington was winning it, uh, winning it handily uh, ahead, and... In that fight with Taylor and Chavez, Taylor went in the fight with seconds left. I don't know how much time was left in this fight. I think it was like ten seconds. Do you know exactly how much was left on the clock? It was roughly ten. It was it was down to like in the context of ten seconds when the ref stopped it. But like I said, the guy was if it was ten seconds or two minutes, that's not the ref's job. You know? No, no, no. But very similar with the Taylor fight in the Chavez. Uh, he's winning the fight with seconds left in the 15th round. Taylor gets dropped, gets up, takes a count, and the referee stops it with Meldrick Taylor standing there, not responding, you know, properly to the ref. And his corner man, the legendary Lou Duva, coming up the steps where perhaps that distracted Meldrick from responding. I think there was similarities, and I'll, I'll, I'll close in on that later. Um... I just wanted to start with that. To, and then I want to go to the fight. First close, first round, close round. Both fighters a, a bit, you know, a bit tight, over-anxious, reaching in with big shots, falling in a little bit. Um, but that thing started to loosen up. Second round, Wood switched from orthodox to southpaw. He had a plan, and he believed in it. And to his credit, he stuck to it. He was looking to control the outside with the shorter Warrington, using a jab, looking to catch Warrington, you know, coming in with the uppercut. And Wood was consistent with that approach. I thought Wood won the second round. But then things changed. The third round, Warrington applied pressure, got inside, took charge, and he actually looked like, he looked stronger, actually. Then in the fourth round, another big round for Warrington. He started piling them on. He, he actually showed me an adjustment that nobody talked about that, but another dimension where he used his legs to move, then he stopped, he picked spots going forward, then moving again, then picking spots forward, then going out, then going to the side, you know, making it very difficult to adjust to that you know, um, really 
for 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 wood and i thought it was really clever and and it was no mistake that he made that adjustment uh where it it really was paying dividends for him where he was just controlling the fight uh the fourth round wood was cut over the right eye fifth round again warrington won mixing up leg movement then picking spots to come in took advantage of a big flaw a big flaw that they better get tidied up a little bit. Wood is a gutsy guy, good puncher, great finisher, resilient guy. He's lost. He's come back, won the title. I mean, really, he's been stopped. He comes back, beats the guy that stopped him. He's You can't say enough for his definition of... the. He defines what a fighter is in those ways. But there is a flaw in Woods' game where... When he when he tries when he tries to keep range and he does, but he's looking to keep range with his jab, and then he steps straight back, and he gets hit because he's stepping straight back from a little too close. The trainer has to adjust that. They got to work on that. Um, Warrington went with him, and he nailed him clean hard shots, and he affected him several times. Uh, Warrington. Again, was winning clearly, landing all the hard, clean shots. Also, he did good job timing Wood in between shots really nicely. He also mixed in some body shots, which they both did, but I thought that he really mixed in some real, Warrington did some really nice body shots. He completely took control of the fight, Ken, for four straight rounds, round three to round six. Warrington was coming in. He was basically coming in and out like the waves down the shore, you know, crashing into the shore. Only they were crashing into wood. Then in the seventh round, one things changed. Now, sometimes, I don't know if you could connect this, but I think you can. Sometimes something's going a certain way in life, in a fight, whatever, in, in a race. And all of a sudden, something interrupts it. And nobody thinks much of it afterwards, but maybe you should have thought something about it. And what interrupted the seventh round, where Warrington's in complete control, as you said, Ken, all of a sudden, a point gets taken away by the ref for hitting behind the head. I know he warned him a couple times, I guess, but all of a sudden, that little interruption, I don't know. And like I said, from rounds three to six, six, Warrington's offense was just much more consistent. He was not only busier, but he was landing the hard, clean punches. And then that seventh round. And then Hurt, what happens? Wood stakes to his game, counter-punching, looking to land the uppercut, looking to land the right hook from the southpaw position, keeping space, and what does he do? He lands it. On top of the head, I believe. He hurts him. And man, did Wood show you that he knows how to finish in this particular fight. He he put punches together. Wow. He drops him. Uh, it, as we said, it's the very the very end of the round. Um, credit, again, credit to Wood that he stayed with the plan. Even though he was losing to control the outside and catch Warrington coming in. Because it paid off for him. Uh, 
He caught him, like I said, with that southpaw right hook. And he believed, he made a switch to southpaw wood early on. And he stuck with it. He believed that that lefty stance would pay off. And it did. He did a great job, once he heard him, of the reason he was able to finish. People just see the punches, Ken. They say, oh, Teddy, he finished. He landed a right hook, a left hand, a right hand, a right hand, a la, 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 la. Why? Because he moved his feet back subtly as he was punching and it kept in the stream the offensive flow. It never got disrupted because he moved his feet back enough, just enough, where he didn't allow Warrington to smother him, to tie him up, to fall in. He kept enough space to keep the offense flowing. He kept the water faucet going. He didn't allow it to be shut off. That's that's the subtle things that I like to point out that really don't get pointed out sometimes enough. That's why he was able to finish the way. Yeah, he landed all those punches. Why? Because he kept space. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't luck. And he did a marvelous job, marvelous job Wood did when he did that, of moving those feet back to keep just the right range. So as I said, he didn't get smothered by Warrington. And tremendous. And I'm going to give him as good a compliment as I could give a fighter. He looked like Joe Lewis at the end, one of the greatest finishers ever, as he caught him those four or five clean, maybe six, clean punches before Warrington went to the floor. I mean, that, that's what did to, that's what made sure he wasn't. And that's what Customato used to love about Joe Lewis. He used to say, Teddy, you got to teach a guy to be a finisher like a Joe Lewis. Where once you hurt him, you hit him short punches, four, five, six, before he ever hits the ground. Then you know he ain't getting up. And that's what Joe Lewis did. And that's, I tell you, that's what, uh, that's what Wood do, did. Uh, when he got up, which was amazing that Warrington was able to get up, after all those shots, this is what I want to put a little attention to, Ken. He held the, he held the ropes and he turned around, facing the crowd for a minute. And although I thought that the ref would probably continue the count, you know, because he got up, he beat the count. I know he was in bad shape. I get it. I'd said it already. But I thought that, and it was extraordinary that he got up, but I thought that the ref would let him go, take just let him go maybe, take a little look at him. And like I said, there was only 10 seconds. And like you said, it doesn't matter. The ref isn't supposed to care about that or know that. It's just, can he continue? Is it a danger to him to continue? That's all the ref's supposed to know or care about. Right, 100%. And, I, and the ref did his job, I guess. But I just thought that maybe, maybe if he would have, if he didn't turn around, Warrington didn't turn around and face the crowd and hold the ropes for that, maybe the ref would have gave him the benefit of a closer look. Maybe. And I don't know what it would have led to, but he it might have led to him, obviously, with 10 seconds left, 
surviving the round, and then who knows? Who knows? Look, take it nothing away from Wood. Tremendous. Tremendous. He's the man. He did the job. But I was disappointed, not in the fighters, but I was disappointed that the television production team, I thought, did a lousy job at the end. I don't know. Maybe they were told to. Maybe they were told to. Don't show that again. By not, they showed over and over the knockout. But they didn't show the part when he got off the floor and he he crawled, pulled himself off the floor after those devastating punches. And he got up and he turned around and he was standing and then the fight got stopped. I... They didn't. They never showed that again. Like I said, they showed the knockdown several times, but not after it when he got up. Uh, you know, and then after you know after count up to whatever it was seven or so, the ref, you know, where he stopped it. Um, as I said, while Warrington was you know was standing, I'm 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 still not clear on exactly what happened. At the end, you know, I, because I never got another look at it. But that's the way it felt to me. Uh, I saw Warrington's corner up there on the ring apron. Maybe that's why the ref stopped it too. You can't get up there. If you get up on a ring apron, you disqualify your fighter. So maybe that was part of it. And again, reminiscent of Meldrick Taylor Chavez when the referee stopped it and Lou Duval was coming up the steps and Taylor was hurt, was standing, you know, standing there. Um, real good fight, sensational, but a little confusing to me. And, you know, uh, just wish the television team would have shown a full conclusion to that round again. I, I guess it's probably out there somewhere where I could find it if I wanted to. But that that's my feeling. Terrific, you know, terrific comeback uh, for Wood. Terrific, really. Uh, to come back in that fashion and to just grab the fight out of the fire the way he did in that seventh round. Wow. But a lot of moving parts to it. A lot of little integral things, a lot of, like I said, molecules floating around in the air that that I think that that had a little something to do with it, but the thing that had the most to do with it was those six punches. Yep. So there it is. Yep. There it is. All right, let's jump into some UFC. Um Bobby Green and um Bobby Green and Grant Dawson, but first let's talk about the co-main. Joe Pfeiffer gets an arm triangle of Abdul Al-Hassan. These guys threw some huge kicks in the first round, my God. Um, pretty straightforward, though, here. Joe uh, Joe, Fe- Joe Pfeiffer gets the arm triangle. How'd you like that fight? Yeah. Well, impressive win, Ken, for Pfeiffer. Uh, he's on a five fight win streak I believe five or six now he's a man to deal with wow uh second round uh, Hassan made a big mistake you know I always talk about <laughs> life is about moments how do you deal with those moments you get an opportunity do you make the most of it an opportunity or do you make a mistake 
And are you able to recover from that mistake? That's what this fight was about to me. Where in the second round, Al Hassan made a big mistake and he didn't get a chance to recover from it. And Pfeiffer took advantage of that opportunity. Al Hassan, he reached in with a big punch. I think it was a left. He missed. He fell in. Pfeiffer grabbed him. Pfeiffer is very strong physically. He lifted him off the ground, body slammed him to the, you know, to the canvas for the takedown, and then he got position on top, and he choked him out. You know, I you could say with the technical, you know, the technical way that he did it. I'm just saying what I, he choked him out. For me, I get simple right to there. He choked him out, and it was a little scary. Because the referee didn't realize that he had tapped. Can you see? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. right. I meant he, to say that in the setup. Ref yeah, couldn't yeah. see it, and the guy, poor guy, went to sleep. No, he couldn't. Well, the ref, I don't blame the ref. No, of course not. The reason he couldn't see it was, and he didn't realize, is that he was tapping out, but he was doing it with his fists like this. Yep. Like he was tapping them. Usually it's this way with patting, like patting somebody on the back. That's right. And with your hand open. And he was doing it like, gingerly but he was doing like oh oh you know with the fist tapping and and so the referee didn't want to do the wrong thing he didn't want to stop it too soon if he was still trying and um but he was tapping out nobody knew it and he went unconscious um you know he got choked unconscious so matter of fact it got a little a little you know not dicey but his, his body went into little convulsions as he was trying at the end, as he knew he was getting choked out. He tried to get out of it. Uh, but really impressive. Afterwards, Pfeiffer, here's the thing I want to make a note on. Pfeiffer was very honest. You don't get too many fighters this honest. He said what I always say, Ken, and what I talk about on this show. And, and on ESPN, that he was and is scared to death. I'm quoting him when he gets into the cage. And he said this, anyone who says they're not afraid is a liar. That's it. I, I just wanted to, I wanted to reiterate that because it's a teaching moment for our fans and some of our young, you know, aspiring fighters out there that feel scared and they think that they're weak. They might think it's a shortcoming of only that only they have that is only present with them. No, it's not. It's even there with, the, with these great warriors, these great samurai, if you will. It's even there with them that if you're human, you're going to feel it. But what matters is what you do. And as I always say, that's all that matters. What you do. Everyone feels the same. And it was a great learning lesson for young fighters, uh, for people, period. You don't have to be uh, in a cage or in a ring to feel scared. Whatever your vocation is, whatever it is that you do or you try to do. But I'll finish, I'll give it to Ken. But like I said, it's normal. God put it there, nature, whatever your beliefs are. But it was put there to all of us, to all of us. To have us ready when the moment comes. It's up to us to control it. It's up to us to make the right choice and not give in. But 
I say to fighters, let, and to the basketball players, to football teams I talk to, make friends with fear. We are so conditioned to it being taboo, we don't want to hear it, that it invokes weakness and yellow and this and that, that you brought No, it's human. Everyone feels, make friends with it. It's your greatest friend. It could be your greatest enemy, but it's meant to be your greatest ally, that, that you use it. It gets you ready. It gets you alert. It gets you sharp. It gets your adrenaline flowing. Use it. Control it. Don't let it control you. And win with it. That's it. Floor is yours, Ken. <laughs> I would say to your point, and this can apply to anyone like you just said, whether you're giving a presentation in work or running a race or a piano recital. Like, I'm scared to death before the race starts because it matters to me. And I'm scared that I've wasted 10 weeks of training and it's all going to go to shit. And I go through all the worst case scenarios. But the one thing I'll say is the more you put yourself in those situations that make you uncomfortable, to your point, the more comfortable you get with the idea of failure is a possibility. But if it wasn't a possibility, there'd be nothing to be scared of. So you should really take the time to like acknowledge the feelings, understand where they're coming from and why it's so important to you. And the one thing I like to do to keep it in perspective with regards to fighting is when I'm running a race or giving a speech, I think... Well, at least unlike a fight, no one's going to run up here and punch my face or choke me unconscious. So with that being said, I'm going to be so happy when this is over. Let me give my best effort so I have no regrets. And I think that people can take that lesson and apply it to anything in their life, which is just reiterating and repackaging what you just said, though. I hope people get something out of this when we talk about this stuff. And if they don't, I apologize. I digress. But let's get into the main event. Bobby Green makes really short work of Grant Dawson. Grant Dawson coming in right. I love high. Bobby Green. I yeah. love, he might be my new favorite fighter. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm really. I, I got to love a guy who's 30 and 14, 38 years old, 37, whatever he is, and he goes and beats a guy 21 and 1, really, and younger than him. I tweeted this out. Uh, this fight was a great example, Ken, and proof of what makes UFC special and why fans watch. Their ratings are much better than boxing on a regular basis because a guy with losses can beat an undefeated guy or a guy with a record like that because they've learned how to fight. They've been tested. They've been put through the fire. They're ready. And, and we don't do that in boxing. And why... I think, and I want to make sure that I see my what I reminded myself to mention here. I think it's an important time for me to say this. It, not only why the brand of UFC has grown so incredibly and why they're beating boxing, my sport. Yeah, they're beating them at the ratings game uh, on, regular, on regular shows. Not, not when you got the huge names and you put the right fights on. Then boxing has a Still has that huge universe. But on a regular basis, and, and when they put their big fights on, they get massive views where we in boxing are not getting them on a regular basis because we're not putting competitive fights on. And I think the reason I want to really make special mention, it's maybe why networks are leaving boxing. You know, 
I think everyone's heard Showtime's leaving. HBO left already. Fox left. I, I, you know, you better be a little nervous out there, fans or, or promoters. You know, you don't care. You only care about your little piece of property. That might be going away. That might be going away little bit by little bit. You know, you think, oh, no, I still got my little place. I still, you know, I don't care about the sport. I don't care about the overall brand. Maybe you should start caring a little bit. Maybe you should. Maybe you should. Because it ain't an accident that the networks are leaving, boxing, uh, the way that they are. And maybe you should worry. And maybe boxing should take a page out of the UFC. And maybe if there was a national commission, we could, we could help the entirety of the sport a little better instead of having these four or five power brokers that are the four or five promoters in the world that only care about their little piece of real estate. And at the end, like I said, it's kind of like, it's kind of like what the ocean is doing to the shorelines. You go down the shore, you haven't been there for 15 years, you go down there, the shore's not as wide as it used to be. The ocean is eaten away at it. A little bit by little, you didn't notice it. But then you come back a year later and it ain't there. You notice it. You say, oh my God, that is happening in boxing. The shoreline is being eroded. Wake up, people. Wake up a little bit. So on any given night, a guy with 14 losses can beat a top guy with a 21-1 record as as Dawson had. Because the guy with 14 losses, as I said a minute ago, was fire-tested, he learned how to fight, and he can fit in with anyone. Different from boxing, a loss, the biggest difference with UFC and boxing, a loss is not treated like a death sentence in the UFC. It's a chance to learn, become a better fighter, not just a guy who has a built-up record. And uh, I, I just, I love, as I, as I think you could tell already, I love seeing an underdog like Green win. I think it's great for the sport. I think it's great for people because people love underdogs because they're underdogs. And they say, if that underdog can win, I can win. And I, I think it's so important to not erase that element from boxing. As I said, great lesson to young fighters. Sometimes you have to lose to learn how to win. Don't be afraid to take that fight that's a little risky. Don't, don't, because it might be the fight you actually need, even if you lose, to learn the things you have to learn to win later on. Yeah, yeah. And don't be afraid in life to take that job, take that advancement. Take that, take that challenge. That might be just what you need. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, it's risky. But it might be just what you need to find out what you need to find out about yourself to get further down the road in whatever you're doing. So, uh, Green was... Green, he also showed that as, as I often say, 
that it's not just a punch that counts, Ken, but the delivery of it. From his lefty, you know, southpaw stance, Green, at the right distance where he was safe, he dropped his hands and subtly, just very subtly, he had Dawson looking for a lead right hand, you know, which is the southpaw jab. And instead, with no warning, what did Green do? He threw a relaxed, and DC made mention of this. All those guys are great. They do a great job, those commentators. But he threw a relaxed, clean, straight left hand. Unexpected, unseen. It dropped Dawson. And of course, Green knew what to do with all his experience. He wasn't letting this get away from him. He jumped on him, finished him. Again, great upset win for the underdog, Green. Just tremendous. Well, Teddy, for all of our um, fans that love the um, YouTube boxing series and for our friends at MyBookie, go to MyBookie.ag and use the promo code ATLAS and they'll give you 100% credit on your first deposit. Deposit deposit 1,000, they'll give you another 1,000 to bet with. We've got the Logan Paul Dylan Dennis fight coming up this weekend, as well as KSI versus Tommy Fury. But the one everyone's talking about is Logan Paul Dylan Dennis. Um, Dylan Dennis, two time, I think two, at least two time uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu world champion. Logan Paul, the uh, YouTuber and now WWE wrestler. They're going to do battle. Uh, Logan Paul, a minus 476 favorite. Dylan Dan is plus 290 underdog. Dylan Dan is coming up about 20 pounds in weight to 195 to meet the bigger Logan Paul. Um, I don't know. For me, these fights are always entertaining at the end of the day. I don't consider it uh, the equivalent of a boxing match as much as just pure entertainment, much like uh, Rough and Rowdy on Barstool Sports. I enjoy the uh, the show. I find it entertaining, but um, what do you think? What are you looking for here? Entertainment. Exactly. I, I think that's fair. They're both good promoters. They both know how to promote, and they're both earnest. I will say one thing, Teddy, real quick. Logan Paul is an incredible wrestler. I mean, he's, he's, he's athletic. He oh, uh, does some gymnastics yeah. well, they're both stuff. Earnest. Like, entertaining. Well, well, they're athletes. All the Pauls are. They're earnest. They work hard at doing this new trade, this new vocation. They put the sweat into it. Uh, they have sweat equity in, in the game. They do that. You can't, you can hate them if you want, but I think it's foolish. They're doing the American dream. They're making money, doing what they believe in. They found a niche. They're following through on it, and they're working hard at it. And Danis is a monster. I mean, this guy, he's a, jiu-jitsu monster champion uh he's a legitimate fighter yeah i know he's not a striker but he's a legitimate fighter in the realm of fighting where mentally he understands that realm he understands the the devil that knocks at the door in that realm those parts of it he knows how to behave like a fighter he knows how to live in that domain he knows how to be calm in an uncalm environment, as I say all the time. He's legit. He's not a striker, but he's legit in that way. Yes, I believe when he competed, he was about 170 pounds. So he's given up, as you touched on, 20 pounds to the bigger uh, Logan Paul. 
hey, Logan Paul's, you know, he's bringing the money. He's bringing the, you know, he's bringing that. So he he gets the opportunity to have the edge uh, in those areas since he's bringing the money. No different than Canelo. Canelo gets the edge, you know. Canelo's terrific, but he gets the edge. He's, you know, people get mad at me because I remind them that there's other great Mexican fighters too. That's all. That's all. But it's okay. That's good. It's good. It's healthy. It's nice. You know what I mean? You get the, like like in the, in the Godfather. Robbie, get that up. The Godfather, that scene where they said, uh, where, where they said, ah, oh, Sonny's going to the mattresses already. He's already going to the mattresses, you know. This this could get this could get a little uh, rough for a while. Last time we went to the mattresses, we were there for a year. You know, it's getting a little bloody, getting a little. And then, uh, and then Clemenza says, eh, "You got to have these once in a while. Kind of clear out the old bad blood. Kind of clean out the old bad blood. You know, I have to have that once in a while. Yeah, same thing. We we have to have these once in a while. Me and the the great Canelo fans. You gotta, you gotta have it once in a while to clean out the, the the old blood. But at the end of the day, Mexico, just like you talked about, the English, great legacy with their fighters, great tradition, history. Mexico, great, great, great tradition. I love them, love the fighters of of that have come from that, from that, from there, that country, extraordinary. But don't forget them. Don't forget, I know that we have a habit of only paying attention to the ones around in our time. But there were other ones before that that were pretty damn good. Just give yourself a chance to look at them. And maybe you think, yeah, Teddy's got a little point here. These guys are pretty damn good. You know, just give give them a look. And maybe, hey, you still could call Canelo the greatest if that's how you feel. That's... I get it. That's fine. And he is damn good. But you got a lot of guys that were damn good that you just might not have had the privilege of seeing to know how damn good they were. So anyway, getting back to this, uh, yeah, Danis is going to have to deal with fighting a bigger guy because the bigger guy is the guy who brings the De Niro. You know, he, he brings the money. So that's the way it is. But I like the Pauls. I like both of them. Again, they're following a dream. They created a niche. They work hard as hell to to make it work. They're getting in there and they're not talking about it. They're doing it. So I think it'll be interesting. It'll be just like you said, Ken. Teddy, what what do you think? What are you looking for? Entertainment. Because that's what that's what it's about. It's about, you know, Going outside the box a little bit, you know, and just getting, getting entertained, getting entertained in a in a way that that these kind of fights have brought an entertainment level to us, you know. Uh, it started with celebrity boxing many years ago. That never reached this level. This is a better level. They're more prepared in this level to for the most part. So again. You're not watching, uh, you know, you're not watching Sugar Ray Leonard uh, versus Sugar Ray Robinson. I don't think anybody fools himself into thinking that. 
but you're watching something that should be interesting, something that it involves risk. No matter what, it still involves risk. It risk to get in that to get in that ring and put it on the line. You know, so I I think that you'd have to figure that Paul has the edges in striking and size, you know, in all those areas. Uh I just can't see Dana's having enough time to catch up, if you will, in the striking area, even though he's been a fighter, a legitimate, real fighter throughout his life, throughout his career. But in the striking area, you know, he's he started this race where Logan's got a head start. Put it that way. You know, and, and when you when you start races where you got a big head start, it's not usual that the guy that is behind catches up. But you never know. You never know, but both of them doing a great job promoting the hell out of it. Uh, I've even heard about it uh, a bit. So it should be fun. Uh, it should be interesting. I, If I had to bet, I hate to lay that kind of wood, but I probably would lay it if I had to. Um, I probably would. I don't know if they do any underovers with that stuff. Uh, with these exhibitions, do they, Ken? Probably. I don't see the line up there. I'm sure they'll have it as we get closer to the event, but I don't see a uh, a line for over-under right now. Yeah, so that's that's my take on it. And uh, there it is. Yep, that's pretty thorough. Um, great breakdown of the action this weekend. Fairly slow weekend next weekend. And of course, we got a UFC fight night and a couple smaller fights, uh, including this uh, YouTube fight. So we'll have plenty to discuss on Monday and hope everyone has a great week. Teddy, thanks for the thorough breakdown today. Appreciate everything. And uh, if you like the show, guys, you can see Teddy on his uh, Box Pro show with Pauli Malinaji as well. Where can they see that, Teddy? Pro Box. I'm a caveman. How do I know? Google Pro Box. I don't even know how to explain it. All I know is when... When they tell me to talk, I talk. <laughs> and and I do. I don't know whether but it's great. Malinacci and and Algeria are great. It's great to be with them. It's great to be with the guys in Pro Box. They they care about the sport. They're very passionate about the sport. They want to actually make the sport better, which I kind of agree with. So yeah. And listen, before we go, I wanna touch on your race again, real quick. Uh, congratulations. I also, uh, as good as you were, you still took second fiddle to, to this guy. You see this? Yep. You see it? Of course. This ribbon, running ribbon, Joseph Atlas Fazio. He, go, go and, go and please make him feel extra good and go on his YouTube channel. The kid is really trying to build that thing up. <laughs> Um, Joseph Fazio, I don't know the number for it, but you guys are geniuses. You'll find it. But this, Ken, keep working hard. You might get one of these. <laughs> keep working hard. You might get one of these. That's how it starts. And the last thing I'll say in a more sober, serious way, and I'll finish with this. You were just in Chicago. You, you were magnificent. And you ran a race a traditional race that's been around hundreds of years, uh, even thousands. 
It goes back to the very beginning of sports. Nothing goes back further than marathons. Herodotus, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but uh, my friend, my dear friend, uh, Pedro, you know, he he often talks about you in that way, that you're so great at the mouth. He, he calls you Herodotus, <laughs> and um, which was, I guess, the where he was the beginning of marathons. Uh, but the point I want to leave us with is this. It's poignant, but it's, it's scary. It's, it's just important. That that town could, for that event, that great event, that, that event with all this history that we just talked about, that's traced back so many years in this great country and in this great world. They, they came together and they made that marathon happen in a safe environment. Why can't we do that for our children, our children, our children? There are children that in all these metropolitan cities, and in Chicago, are being slaughtered. Slaughtered. And they don't even talk about it anymore. It's just statistics that get piled on a list. You don't even know the names. Three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, 16-year-olds. Slaughtered every weekend in, in many of these our cities. And in Chicago, in, in just... Scary numbers. Numbers that just should should not be. We shouldn't lose one of our children. And we're losing hundreds every week, every weekend in places like Chicago. If they could make the marathon safe, those leaders out there, if they could make the marathon safe as they did on Sunday, for everybody to enjoy this great event and to learn from the event how if you push yourself you can be better that you can that you can endure things that you you could endure 26 miles who the hell thought you could do that that if you could do that you could endure other things with other vocations in other areas it's great but if you could make it safe to have that event we have to find a way to make it safe all the time for all our children that we're losing. We're losing the most important, just the most important thing we have in, in life and the most important thing asset we have in this country, our youth. We're losing them. Please. Really, those... those I'm not trying to knock you right now, but the leaders out there that you're paid to be leaders, you're paid, you're elected. Uh, what a privilege. What a responsibility, but what a privilege. You're elected to be a leader. Please, if you could figure out how to keep Chicago, and I'm talking to all the leaders in all cities, but right now it's Chicago. You figured out how to keep it safe for everybody, for the marathon. Figure out how to do it all the time. Please, I beg you, 
Other parents beg you. Other grandparents beg you. God bless everyone. All right, have a good week, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Teddy. <laughs>